Gobble, gobble, mother Welcome to the Thanksgiving edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. We take you through the week and running, both looking back and looking ahead. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson. Welcome to the show. I'm joined as always by my twin brother, genetic equal, Weldon Johnson, as well as a staff writer, Jonathan Galt. Got a great show today. Kara D'Amato has destroyed the U.S. 10-mile record. Can she make an Olympic team? A U.S. high school girl has broken 16 minutes in the 5,000 for the first time ever. 2021 Diamond League schedule is out. Are you ready for a pre-classic in August? We're also going to talk about the Delhi half this weekend. Great Britain is holding a non-binding Olympic marathon trials in March. The JFK 50-miler is in the books. Course record has gone down, but should it have been happening in the midst of COVID, that controversy will be discussed. And folks, turkey trots in Connecticut have been canceled, and perhaps even worse, just 25 minutes from the Let's Run.com, Mid-Atlantic headquarters, alcohol sales in Pennsylvania have been banned. It's going to be a fun show, guys. Did you stockpile all of your alcohol beforehand, Robert? Well, I'm going to try to keep this show to about 75 minutes max. I'm headed to the liquor store with John Kellogg. We're going to load up the SUV, drive 25 minutes to the state border, and try to, try to uh, what do you call it, bootleg it? I actually thought when I read this, saw that it was canceled, I thought they canceled all alcohol sales. And back when COVID first started, I thought it was very weird that alcohol was considered an essential business. Like, you can go to the store. In Pennsylvania, they haven't actually canceled all alcohol sales. It's just alcohol sales in, like, bars and restaurants. So I think you can still... I plan to make a lot of money tonight. Doesn't look like it's a good one. And Robert, at the end of the podcast, we have special guest, Hoka NAZ elite coach Ben Rosario joins us. You could argue Ben is the coach of the year in 2020. Coach of Olympic marathon trials champ Alephine Tulemek. The Hoka NAZ elite team won the Michigan Akaden. Things are firing in all cylinders for Ben's team. And he is putting on the... Marathon Project. It is the. It's this is it. The marathon major left in the United States this year. This could arguably be the fastest marathon in the U.S. in the entire year. It's December twentieth in Arizona, and Ben. Not only is he, I think this is his third or fourth time on the podcast. He's now a paying guest to be on the podcast. He paid us to actually promote the Marathon Project Virtual Challenge, which kicks off today. If you want to get started today. If you're going to do a virtual challenge, this is the one. So first of all, you can do a 5K, 10K, half marathon, and marathon. You can do all four of them if you want. There's also kicking off today the mileage mania challenge. So if you want to have a whole slew of stuff to do for the next month, you can start today. Or you can just do one of these races. You get a performance half zip. You get a finisher medal, all of this for only 50 bucks. So essentially for the cost of one virtual challenge, you get four or five, and you can also join your favorite pro runners teams. So Sarah Hall is running the marathon challenge. You want to join her team? Sign up, support Sarah. There's you know 50 men's runners on this thing, 50 women's runners. So this is the marathon challenge for letsrun.com. Visitors, check it out. Link in the show notes. And you can go to themarathonproject.com. But Ben joins to talk about one, like, you know, how this race came about. It's like, like, why are you having to put on races? And, you know, Ben, he gets shit, shit done. He's like, look, we had to go on offense with stuff shutting down. It's not USATF's jobs to put on races. So we decided to put them on. And 
this race could go, I mean, maybe 220 on the women's side, sub 210 on the men's. So it'll be a great race. So stay tuned for Ben at the end. But guys, before we get to that, where should we start today? I would like to actually start by going back to last week's podcast, if that's okay, because this morning I listened to the interview you guys did with Ken Go and thought it was mesmerizing, fantastic job. But I had a few questions I wanted to follow up with that just sort of popped into my mind as I was listening. One, these are questions, I don't know. I mean, he, he, Ken is clearly like a little bit like me now. Like, I wanted Salazar banned, and now he's banned. I'm like, wait, what did he get banned for? So it made me sympathetic to Salazar and Galen and stuff like that. But there's just a few factual questions I had. One was he said at one point in the interview that Galen Rupp was a four-point business major at, at Oregon. Is that true? I had always heard, and again, Ken is dismissive of the message boards, that Galen Rupp never graduated from Oregon. So I guess it's possible you could be a 4.0 student and not graduate, but that seemed odd to me. So I don't know how we could look into that. Maybe we could follow up to see if he's a graduate. Not that it's that big of a deal. The other thing that I thought was a little bit funny was at one point he's like, you know, he's not an Ottoman, Ottoman or something like that, basically a robot. Automaton. Thank you, John. But then I was thinking, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that just told us last week that he hasn't run with a single human being for eight months? (laughs) Anyways. Um, I, I think that being an automaton is what makes you a great distance runner. You have to be dedicated and focused. So that was just one question I had. And some of these things I don't expect you guys to be able to answer. I'm just sort of wondering that. The other one I had was, if Alberto is such a good guy, and again, when I'm listening to it, I have sympathy for him, but the one question I would have asked him if I was you guys is, well, okay, if that's true, then why is there so much animosity towards him from people that used to be very close to him? Mary Kane, Jerry Schumacher, Kara Goucher, Steve Magnus. Now, I guess for three of the four, you could say maybe it's bitterness or anger that their contracts were cut, they were fired, pushed out, whatever. But that's just one question I would have asked. Another question I have is like regarding, we got to have Inland on as a guest at some point. The guy gets stuff done. Um, I'm worried about the future of Oregon track and field when I heard Kingo talk about that. I mean, Oregon's always going to be kind of a big deal no matter who's coaching there. But Vin really got that Tracktown USA back. And maybe this stadium's going to help them automatically stay as Tracktown USA. But kind of Oregon track and field without Vin LaNana reminds me of like the Dallas Cowboys without, you know, Jimmy Johnson or something. Like they're still kind of a big deal, but are they necessarily super effective? Thoughts on my thoughts? Yeah, the stuff about the 4-0 student came as a surprise to me because I had sort of heard the same things you had, Robert, that maybe they were still... Galen Rupp and Matthew Centrowitz were still taking math classes a few years after people thought they graduated. So I don't know what the truth is there. But it, again, it's not really relevant to their running ability. Yeah, well, I don't see how those things are different. I mean, I, I, if you'd asked me if Galen Rupp was a good student, I don't know what I would have said. But I I think I heard him and Centro were taking classes, but they were like super good runners and went pro. I just sort of assumed they're like a lot of athletes. They had one or two classes to finish up, and I I would have... If I had to bet money, I would assume they both had graduated, so that wasn't much of a revelation to me. I guess I, I wouldn't have known Galen Rupp was a 4.0 student in the business school, so that's that's good to hear. Anyone knows the facts, please email me, robert at let'srun.com. One other correction, I thought he said, you know, he never, he said Albert had never worked with a young female before, but that's not really true. He'd worked with Caitlin Chalk. So, I mean, maybe not quite as young as he had, he had done some before. And then just now you guys said Ben Rosario said it's not USATF's job to, to put on meets. I kind of feel like it is. One question when I was listening to the podcast I was thinking of was, 
yes, all of Europe put on on national championships, but maybe we should look. Did USA Gymnastics, did USA Swimming, did they put on championships? Question that I'm curious again. If you know it, email us, robert at letsrun.com. And while you're on the computer, folks, did you do what I told you to do last Friday? Go to the website. I told you, I promised you there would be a revelation, a new product, and it was. It was out. Folks, the letsrun.com shirt is here. Inspired by the iconic yellow singlet that Weldon wore 20 years ago to launch this website. The same singlet that pushed Alan Webb to the sub-four-minute mile. The same singlet that raced Gallon Rupp, actually. Ran 28.06. Paced two world records. Actually, I don't think I was wearing it when I paced Catherine into Rabbit of the world record. But anyways, we have a t-shirt designed on it. It's a yellow t-shirt. Heck, be bold. Folks, have you ever worn a yellow t-shirt in your life? Now is your opportunity. Go to shop.letsrun.com. You can pick one up. They were 50% off for three days. But some people, I know you have families and stuff. You may have missed the podcast, but you should have been to the website. But I will give you a special coupon code for one week. I'm not going to give it to you for 50% off. I'll give it to you for $10 off. But you got to bow down to yours truly. In the checkout code, type in Rojo as I got. Actually, John said that's too mean. Just type in Rojo. and you'll It's get not $10. mean. It's just stupid. Like co- co- promo code Rojo. Just it's very simple to remember. It doesn't make people become sacrilegious or anything. Promo code Rojo is fine. And also in the shop, we have now finally put up the private coaching. If you want the private coaching from John and me, there's a way to sign up. We didn't really have a way to sign up. People were Venmoing me money. It wasn't very efficient. So, and guys, Black Friday and gals is Friday. We have Cyber Monday and Monday. Expect huge shoe discounts available to everyone. And also, if you want to join the supporters club, you might just want to wait until Friday. There'll be a discount for that. So get your gear, join the club. It's going to be a great 2021 for all of our, all the Let's Run Nation, but especially our supporters club. Yes. And people, I, I someone on the message board said, you know, I purchased a yellow shirt. I wanted to support the podcast in the show. That doesn't really count because if it's 50% off, we're not really making money. So you got to buy like a full full price item. Now, John, I, I need a clarification. Someone also posted in, in the message board, all the tips are going to Jonathan Galt, right? Now, I, I need a ruling on this. I mean, all the podcast tips go to you. We clearly said that, but I'm boxing these shirts, folding them. John Kellogg and I are like Jeff Bezos in the earliest days. Weldon's like, no, Mark Zuckerberg's not sending out his own shirts at Facebook. But as my wife pointed out, Weldon, I haven't told you this. Jeff Bezos back in the early days did send out Amazon products. So I'm in there sending them out. I mean, should the tips drop to John? Because they were substantial last Friday. Isn't it Bezos? Yeah. First of all, this is fascinating. I've never seen a product where you could actually tip and you put it on there and people were tipping for shirts. So thank you, everyone, LRC Nation, for tipping. I think the tips should go to John, but we'll, we'll have a ruling. I mean, I support the tips going to me, but I'll admit I am not doing any work on these T-shirts. My work is elsewhere on the website. Your, your, your hard work boxing up this and performing physical labor is allowing me to produce the content for our homepage that our visitors so crave. And... Also, Friday, I believe Robert has a new T-shirt coming out. Yes, it's Black Friday, and this shirt is going to re- this shirt is going to be amazing. It's going to all I can say for now is it's going to be have a funeral theme, black and white colors, representing a black stain on the sport in a dark era. Black. It's going to be amazing. My asterisk shirt shirt is out. I can't wait. All right, very exciting. Let's uh, let's get to talk about some actual running stuff, guys. 
Uh, Kieran D'Amato, I think that's where we should start, Robert. Yes. 36-year-old mother of two, unsponsored, realtor, took off like five years, 10 years from the sport. Some people are calling her the, the story of the year. She's destroyed the American record in the 10,000 running, in the 10-mile running, American women's only 10 record running, 51-23, I believe, in a race she spent thousands of her own dollars to put on. Great performance. And I'm really inspired by her story. I love the mom story and stuff like that. But I actually got a ne- one negative take I could take on it. Should I start with that to kind of take the take us down a little bit? I mean, you're known as a contrarian. You love yes, I love taking to be runners down a peg, Robert. I don't know. I mean, what better way to start for you? Well, I love to be a contrarian, and it's amazing. The mom. I don't know how you do it with two kids, and her kids were there and watching. And I mean, it's cool. But I thought about it. I'm like, wait a minute. Couldn't this be depressing to everybody else? this is the ultimate genetics are all that matter. You take 10 years off from running competitive running five years, totally off from running, you know, and then start running again. All of a sudden you're like world-class. Like that's pretty, I don't know. It just seems like some people You have a phrase for that, right? Robert, isn't there a phrase you like to use? Talent doesn't go away folks. By the book sports gene by our friend, David Epstein. Also it it might help. Also though, I think this is, this is a, a big vindication for the women that are in their mid to late thirties that have had children, or I don't know if you have to have children to actually get the testosterone boost as well, but it seems like they get better and better. I mean, it's really inspiring. It's amazing. And after this run, John, I, I was thinking like, what's next for her? And I was like, could she possibly make the Olympic team? So I, I turned to John Kellogg yesterday and I said, John, convert that 10 mile time to a 10,000 for me. And he punched it into his human calculator and he's like 31 oh something, 03, I think. I was like, whoa, 31-03 equivalent? That puts her in the hunt for the Olympic team, right? Undoubtedly, she's in the hunt. And Robert, to your point about the 30-plus women, I mean, I don't think you need a kid to get these benefits. I think it's just there are a lot of women who've been performing at a high level, well, deep into their 30s. You look, Shalane Flanagan won the New York City Marathon. I think she was 37. Des won in her mid to late 30s in Boston. Sarah Hall just ran two twenty two in London, finished second. She's in her late, thir- you know, mid to late thirties. So it's not just you don't need to have a kid, I think, to reap these benefits. Uh, but yeah, you look at the women who are in contention for this Olympic ten k team. I'm not going to say Kira Demado is a favorite, but I certainly think she's in the hunt. It wouldn't be a big shock at this point if she made the team. Now, the three women who made the team in 2019 were Emily Sisson, Molly Huddle, and Marielle Hall. And as we know, Emily Sisson and Molly Huddle did not make the Olympic marathon team, so they will be going all in for the 10K next year. Marielle Hall beat both of them at Worlds. She ran really well in the World Championship final in Doha, finishing eighth there in a personal best of 31.05, and that moved her up to sixth on the all-time U.S. list. I think here's the thing, like, 3103, that is, you got to put in perspective though, if that's an accurate conversion, that's super, super fast because only five women ever in the United States have broken 31 minutes. And unfortunately for Kira D'Amato, two of them, Molly Huddle, number one, and Emily Sisson, number three, are going to be in the trials next year. And then, you know, you throw in whole, there's a lot of other women as well, Robert, that you maybe can talk about as well. I think it's going to be, it'll be tough, but I think she's got a shot. Well, did you mention the name Carissa Schweizer? I didn't. I mean, if Schweizer or like Houlihan runs the 10K, they're going to make... Well, I don't who, think, come on. 
Houlihan will, but Schweizer might. You know, and I guess the, the uh, fifteen. She's run a fifteen or four or five thousand this year, so she's also got a shot at the five thousand Olympic team. But look at the five thousand team for the U.S. You got Houlihan at fourteen twenty three, Schweizer at twenty six. This is just this year. Roberry forty five, Cranny at forty eight, and Fireworks at fourteen fifty. I mean, Fireworks isn't going to do it. Now the question is, does Houlihan do the fifteen five? Or just the five. I guess it doesn't really matter in terms of D'Amato's Olympic champs. I think our best chances are at the 10. But to me, I think Schweizer is going to do 5-10. That's one spot. I don't think D'Amato's beating Schweizer. But there's no one else that I'm not ruling out that she can beat. I mean, Molly Huddle, I don't know. She's been not very impressive to me this year at all. And she hasn't broken 15 minutes since 2016 in the 5,000. So... Yeah, she broke 31 minutes last year, right? Running 30.58 or something like that. But that's not that far off 31.03. Robert, I'm not going to so. stand for this. Molly Huddle has won the last five national championships in the 10K. And you're just like, oh, she hasn't broken 15 since 2016. I don't give a shit. Like, Molly Huddle is a freaking machine. I'm sorry. I'm not. But I'm giving Molly Huddle a spot on the team, too. I'm not going to bet against her. Over Sisson? She beat Sisson at USA's loss in 2019. We thought I thought Sisson going in. I was like, oh, Sisson will beat her. Molly Huddle just, I don't know. I she She's just, Kira D'Amato is talented. Molly Huddle is a different level of talent. You know, American record holder. I just Molly, Huddle's not, Molly Huddle's like Tom Brady, John. Once it goes, it goes quick. I mean, she's on the downside. I know she's probably about the same. Actually, who's older? Huddle or D'Amato? It'd be actually interesting. I think Huddle's, Huddle's so old. They're the same age, 36. They were born within a month or two of each other. But Huddle realizes her best days are past her. D'Amato's motivated, focused, etc. You know, I'm not saying she's going to make the team, but, you know, I I think Schweizer's a lock. If she does it, no one else in my mind would be a 100% lock except for her. And then I think it's a a number of women with an interesting chance. Well, then there's, there's Emily Infeld. If she's healthy, I mean, she makes teams when she's healthy. The problem is she's not healthy that often. Uh, Kellen Taylor, who was third at USA's in 2019, I think she, you know we. You give me crap for not bringing her up, but I think she's definitely got a shot as well, and she's a she's a year year or two younger than Damado. And Kellen Taylor just recently, and we're talking 3103, being amazing. I mean, Kellen Taylor ran 3107 just like a month ago in a mixed race, so she's in this basically the same type of fitness. And then of course Sarah Hall. I mean, I don't know what exactly I'm, I'm trying to pull up her 10,000 meter PR here. But I don't know. I, I'm not real confident in Hall, but certainly can't rule it out. She's only run 32 35, but obviously, what she's done, she's run 68 low in the half this year, 222 in the marathon. She's a, she's going to be in the hunt in the 10,000, I think. I think it's going to be a great race. But props to Mr. Motto for, for getting the record. Now, I think Molly Huddle ran faster when she ran her half marathon record, but that was in a mixed race, right? But actually, D'Amato, like the last mile was like she got a, a, a rib cramp and was like 525. Otherwise, she would have been pretty close to the, the 10 mile split that Molly Huddle ran in her American record performance. So, yeah, I was impressed. Huddle, Huddle's record was 50, 52 for, you know, mixed race, and D'Amato ran 51 23. So I didn't think she would come as close as she did. Uh, so that was, it was a great run by Kira for sure. One inside baseball thing here John interviewed her. In the week, early in the week last week, and she was asked John. She's like, you know, it's going to cost three thousand dollars for drug testing. It's not actually required at this distance to be an American record. Do you think I should pay for it? 
to do it. And I was, or do you think Let's Run could help? And I told John, no, we're not paying $3,000. Sorry. I personally wouldn't bother to pay for it because it's not in the rules. The average public's not going to care. As much as I am anti-doping, I'm like, if it's coming out of my own pocket, no. But I want a, a shout out to, I think, the what's it called? PPRO or the Professional Roadrunners Association or something like that. The PRRO, the Professional Roadrunning Organization, and also the Credit Union Cherry Blossom Organizing Committee. They combined, they, she got a grant to pay for the drug testing. So kudos to both of them. But also amazing to Kira because she was thinking about spending another three grand out of her own pocket on it. Cool story. Yeah, she definitely, I mean, she definitely spent a few thousand, you know, some money, some of her own money to put this on. So impressive. Okay, guys, enough than motto talk. I mean, it's pretty cool with 36 to get an American record, especially when you have to put up your own money to do it during COVID. But she's still a stretch to make the Olympic team. But it, the fact she's even in contention, it's pretty cool. But can we turn to a runner who may be the future of American distance running? Uh-oh. Hate to put that label on people. Who is more than half or less than half the age of the motto. That is Jenna Hutchings. She's from Tennessee. And she ran 15.58. Many people assume this had to be short. This is supposedly a legit course at the running lane. Is that correct? Running Lane Cross Country Championships in Huntsville, Alabama. Yes, this was an unofficial national championship, one of like three or four this year, but this was a f- fabulous race, fabulous performance. And this is, if the course, I don't know, I don't think they officially certify these things, but these guys are like, look, it's a legit course. It would be the first official sub 16 by a woman, U.S. woman on a high school cross country course. So that begs us. And she crushed everyone, winning by like over a minute. And if there's a thing called um, Tully speed ratings, where they you try to they try to assign a speed rating to various high school races and performances across different venues and stu- stuff. This wasn't even Jenna's fastest speed rating of of the year. She won her like district race earlier this year by over two minutes and forty seven seconds, something like that. So I mean, she's just crushing everyone. But to beat a field of this quality by over a minute, like. I don't know. I will, you know. All right. Well, let me give you some perspective here. John wrote an article on it, but there really was no conclusion to the article. My take, amazing performance, but I'm just a little bit upset with COVID because I would love to see, there's really three great high school women's stars this year. It kind of reminds me of a few years ago, John, when we had a Frameson, Kane, and... Elise Cranny. And, and Cranny, because we've got Hutchins here. And everyone's making a big big deal of a sub-16. I'm not seeing the course is short because she clearly can break 16 on a track, but I don't uh, I don't care about cross-country times. You know, Totally Speed Rating says this is only her, only the fourth best w- girls' performance of the year. Now, two of the other ones are from her. But Sydney Thorvaldson, who we talked in last week's podcast at the at the Terre Haute meet, according to this, this Totally Speed Ratings, would have beaten her by six seconds in this race. So you got Sydney Thorvaldson. You've got Jenna Hutchins. And Hudson's ran a 9.49 two-mile, you know, in August. So these goals are clearly all all legit. And then we've got Bren Brown of Texas. Remember, she ran 9.39 for 3,200 this summer. So those three are insane. They've all put up speed ratings between 165 and 170. So in my mind, it's just a shame we're not going to see these three young ladies battle each other. I mean, maybe we wouldn't have anyways. Maybe one of them would have gone to Foot Locker and two go to NXN. But, you know, according to speed ratings, Hutchings would win – over Thorvaldson by like 
seven or eight seconds, and then Brown would be, you know, six seconds behind that. But I don't know. I mean, you really think someone who's run 9.39 for two miles like Brown is going to get beaten by close to 15 seconds? Uh, I'm not sure about that. And I, I the sub-16 sounds good, but again... They say they measured it, but I don't know. Talking about cross-country times used to really annoy me. when A kid would call me up at Cornell and say, hey, will you recruit me? Here's my times. I would say, I, I, I don't care what place where you at the state meeting cross-country. That's what I wanted to know. But one way to think about the times being, you know, good is she's run 949 for, for two miles. There's a guy that, that I've sort of helped a little bit, and, you know, he, he was really high up in his state meet in, in Illinois, and I'm figuring, okay, if he's like the third or fourth best guy in Illinois, he's got to be at least a 915 guy. He beat her by a minute in this race. So, you know, that's, you know, 20 seconds a mile. So if she's 949 and he's, and he's 40 seconds, you know. So, you know, he, it's about right. He, he would be a 910 guy, 915, you know, whatever. Anyways. Yeah, just I just hard. think it's, it's super impressive. And Robert, actually, there is some hope that we could see a showdown. I, I think... From what I read, Thorvaldson and Bryn Brown may be racing each other at the Lubbock Christian University High School XC National Ch- Invite, which is on December 5th. So I, th- I think those are the two I read, um, which would make sense because Brown's from Texas. So I think at least two of them should be running in that meet. Uh, that could be pretty exciting. I'm glad you mentioned that, John. As you were typing, I was like looking through my emails because... Nick Cordes, the coach at Lubbock Christian University, is putting on that meet. He's a listener of the podcast. And when NXN and Foot Locker got canceled, we're like, somebody needs to put on a national championship. And he emailed us and said, hey, do you guys want to you know, help us with this? And I said, well, we'll help with promotion. I mean, all we really he did everything. All we did was put up a link to it. So I'm taking no credit for this. But I was going through the emails, and he – this is one from October – and he had said, you know, Bryn Brown's running this race. And he was already on top of this. He's like, Jenna Hutchings and Sidney Throvelson, you know, were waiting to hear. So if Hutchin- if Throvelson's running, that's great. So if all three could run, even better. So that race is, I think, the first week in December. So that would be great. Yeah, I just got to say, I seeing seeing Hutchins' time, sub-16, I mean, the course, look, it, it's, it's, it's very fast, clearly. Like I, they say they measured it. I have no reason to disbelieve that. I don't think the make, meet organizers. I don't think they're just going to make it up. They want it to be five k. I just think it's like I was pretty good high school runner as a boy. I never broke sixteen minutes. That was always a big goal for me. So for a high school girl to do it is just it's a phenomenal accomplishment. And uh, you know clearly, I, I think it's unfair. Weldon, you sort of joked about it at the front, but it's unfair to say like the future of American distance running. I think we tend to overhype our, our teenage stars, but I just think what she, what Jenna Hutchins has done in 2020, that alone deserves to be worthy of praise. It's exceptional. And we just focus on that and whatever she does in the future, I, you know, I don't think we should worry about right now. Well, I think all three are, are worthy of praise because they've all three done. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Thorvaldson was terrific, and Bryn Brown, she just ran 16.25. I think she set this Texas State meet course record on Tuesday. I realize, John, while we're talking about last week's results, there's a couple of things we didn't mention in the show intro and haven't talked about. 2020 NCAA Cross Country Championships last week, they were amazing. Where were they? I forgot, John. Oh, Oklahoma State for the first time. Actually, that didn't happen. But, John, I loved your article, What You Missed About the NCAA Cross Country Championships. Yeah, podcast listeners, if you haven't read it, it's a great article about just the things that are unique about the meet. 
I guess it's not totally unique, just in case. My favorite thing, though, is running with thousands of other people across the field trying to figure out where to go. I actually liked it better back in the day when I would show up in, like, 98 or something and didn't have a course map. and just like, where do you go next? And you just look at a 1,000 people, and they're running there, and you figure, okay, this must be the two-mile mark or something. So hopefully we have that coming up soon. But there were we, – the other thing we didn't talk about on the show intro was – Weldon, wait, you want to say something? Yeah, did you guys see a couple more things on this running lane national championships? One, I guess I haven't been to cross country meets. You see pictures? I mean, there were people congregated at the finish. It looked like Alabama, Alabama yeah. baby. But also, two, like, so there's debate about that. But this is an outdoor event. I mean, there's so little minimal spread of COVID outdoors. I don't know about a mass events, um, but there's a thread on this on the on the forums right now. And somebody said, look, actually, most people at the meet spectating were wearing masks. So, you know, they said they chose not to go to the finish big area, but like they've been going to meets all summer. The other thing is there's a Colorado-Utah border clash every year. And that thing got canceled because of COVID. So what happened? The two schools then flew to the meet in Alabama to race each other. So I just think... It shows like COVID is such an interesting sort of study of what people will do. And like, you know, COVID for a 17 year old kid is very different from a 70 year old adult. And I totally see, actually can see how high school kids would do that. And flying is very safe. So, and other people are like, that's effing nuts. But I think you're going to keep seeing events like this going on. And uh, clearly for the high school kids, most of them feel very safe racing, which personally I think is a good thing. But who knows what's going to come of this? But it's sort of just a—I don't know. I, I hadn't seen events with that many people together outside since March. Well, I think I started that thread about them flying. I just thought, like, the thing that drives me nuts about COVID is people just—we're not consistent about it. And I guess it's—and that's probably one of the problems. That, not problems. That one of the beauties of being in the West is there's no. There's never going to be a Chinese type lockdown. So these other lockdowns drive me nuts because, okay, you're going to cancel this one race in Colorado, but then there's nothing to stop these people from flying to Fort, you know, flying to Alabama to run the same meets. So you might as well have it. And along those lines, um, last week, the J- the famous ultra race, the JFK 50 mile was held. And a few days before the race, the Washington Post comes out with this article. And I started a motion board discussion on this because I thought basically the point of this Post article was to try to sort of get the race canceled. They're like, COVID cases are surging in Maryland and this race is being held. And people thought that I was, the way I framed the debate was wrong. I just thought it was an interesting discussion. Like, should this race, maybe I should have said, instead of saying fair or foul, the Washington Post tries to shame this race. I should have said fair or foul, should this race be held? Because that's the interesting question to me. And, you know, having thought a lot about it, I still think them holding this JFK 50 mile, by the way, the men's course record fell. John, who helped me out? Who won it? Hayden Hawks. And Camille Heron won the women's race in her first attempt at the race. But so shout out to them. But I posted this on the message board the other day. I think that this race did not increase the cost of COVID. If anything, I could argue that it actually would have decreased the case of COVID. I mean, I was saying like, look, these are people way spread out on a 50-mile race. When I go to the local park one mile from my house on the weekend and do a seven-mile run, I bet I pass 100 people out and back, you know, we're masked, 
when we pass each other or we, we pull up our, our shirts over our faces. But you're not going to pass that many people in a hundred in a fifty mile race. So, and you, everyone, I you know that yes. So the the risk of them getting it while racing is almost zero. Now they have to get there, I guess. But they made everyone get tested before going there. So you might have actually caught a lot of asymptomatic people by having them get tested. So it kind of reminds me of like Cornell University. They went all in on school this year because their theory was we're going to test everyone all the time. These kids are going to be doing irresponsible things at home. If they're if they have to come to school and be tested, they're going to be a little bit more cautious. Same thing may be true here. I'm glad the race went on. And how many people ran it? 1,200 people, but they spread them out. They started in waves of 250. Everyone got a mask. Everyone had to socially distance and wear a mask at the start. And there was no finish line ceremony. All right. I guess we're turning this into our COVID segment of the week. We need COVID music. What sort of music would that be? But road races in my state of Connecticut went illegal this week. That was just to like snuff out any turkey trots going on, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. But... I mean, I ran some cross-country races this fall. Even now with the uptick in COVID, I would go to do any event outdoors. I just have personally no concern, like none. And it's, I don't know, it's pretty interesting. Yet, you know, 30,000 people will probably beat the Dallas Cowboys game this weekend, but there's no turkey trots in most states and parts of Texas. Like, as you said, Robert, just no consistency. I mean, yeah, that's what bothers me. Unless you're going to close public parks, you need to let this go on. Any epi- epidemiologist out there? Seriously, has there been any mass spreading events outdoors? I would love to know that. You know, if that would be good to have in. But like, if the industry is going to get back of road running, I think outdoor mass events should be the first mass events to come back, more than like indoor sporting events. But you know, we're about to kick off college basketball and all this other stuff. Yeah, kick off. It started. It's already started. There's games oh. today. Great. I can't believe college basketball is happening. Speaking of events, though. Have you guys heard of Challenge Daytona? No. The Washington Post, they seem to be big on these articles. They had an article on this. The article in the Post is titled, An Upstart Triathlon Offers Athletes a Million Dollar Purse in a Pandemic Dilemma. And this triathlon is scheduled for next month in Daytona, Florida at the Daytona International Speedway. And a couple of things make it stand out. One, it has $1.15 million in prize money. I mean, that's huge. And the other thing is, so they're going to have 2,000 athletes there. I'm like, 2,000 at a huge speedway? Like, no problem. We're having 20,000, 30,000 people at sporting events. I feel like you could hold this very safely. But, you know, they're talking about the triathlon, the travel, this sort of stuff. It just sort of shows what people are comfortable with. I mean, I would do a 2,000-person event, no problem, outdoors. That's me. But Robert, if you're going to have an outdoor marathon, maybe Florida's the place to have it. But Florida's, you know, open for business with everything, but they still sort of officially advise it's just looking for events over 250 people to be more cautious. But also, John, related to this, in this article in the Post, it's talking about Challenge Daytona and all the prize money. Maybe we need to get this guy involved with running. And the Challenge Daytona is funded by billionaire venture capitalist Mike Moritz. And it says, John, a former journalist from Wales, Moritz reportedly has invested $10 million to $20 million of his own money in the PTO. Wait, how does a journalist become a billionaire? That is what I need to know. That's what I'm getting at, John. This guy, he's from Great Britain. He's Welsh and a journalist. So I'm, I'm just sort of, I want to know like what you have in store for running. I mean, this is great that 
Maybe you can be the savior of the sport. You and Uncle Phil. Oh, I'm trying to think. If I became a billionaire, would I want to save the sport of running, or would I want to have, buy Brighton and Hove Albion and turn us into the greatest football club in the world? I mean, it's probably number two. But the Patriots, they were, I mean, I, first of all, I have to be like a multi, multi billionaire to buy out Robert Kraft. That thing's a cash cow. Second, I just liked, you know, like the Patriots, we had a good run, you know. Brighton, we've never won the Premier League, Champions League, we've never qualified, you know, that's that's what I need to do. John, all you got to do is write one or two scandal plague stories about Mr. Kraft first, get the price down, and then... What do you mean, write scandal prey stories? He was caught getting a hand job in a Florida massage parlor, and everyone just sort of forgot about it. It's like, you're going to need bigger scandals than that. And did you hear John refer to the Patriots in the past tense? We had a good run. So I guess it's officially over. RIP Patriots, Dallas Cowboys, huge game on Thanksgiving. Our playoff run is just starting. This is going to be great. A home playoff game? I'm gonna put. I'll probably put my money where my mouth is. Fly back to Texas and get COVID going to that damn thing. This is ridiculous. Like I was looking forward Thanksgiving. There was only one good game: Ravens versus Steelers. I was like, oh, at least we have to sit through that crappy NFC East game, and the Lions game is always terrible. But at least we have Baltimore Pittsburgh to look forward to. And now a bunch of Ravens have tested positive, and they've moved that game to Sunday. It's like now I'm gonna have to suffer through and watch this football team versus Cowboys game just to get my football fix on Thanksgiving. Well, John can't even say it. He can't even say the word Redskins. I mean, I guess it's not officially the name. Is it like? Is this like when you've officially like what's it called? Misgender someone? Uh, I'm just so used to saying the Redskins. Did I? I said probably said it earlier. Redskins, Cowboys. Did I? I, I probably so. did. Oh, interesting. Wait, and Robert's neighbor is a Baltimore Raven. Robert, this could be this is, could be kind of ironic if this is how Robert gets COVID via his neighbor, who's a Baltimore Raven. Yeah, did I tell y'all? I found out this guy that lives behind the woods is like a raven. My wife is actually very paranoid about about, about COVID, and there's like a little stream in these woods, and my kid goes throws rocks, and he's got a kid like the same age, and my wife's like. You know, our son should really wear a mask. I don't want him to give him his child the, the COVID, and then the Ravens get it, and then we get blamed for them not doing well. So it's high responsibilities here. I think the Ravens have other people to blame for them not doing well this year. I, I'm very upset. Like there was a lot of people wearing like purple jerseys at this house one point this summer, and it's a pretty big house. My wife's like, "Do you think a Raven lives there?" I was like, "Come on!" And then I found out a Raven actually does live there. So. One more thing on COVID in Florida. Right as this podcast started, my phone rang, and I answered it, and it was the Let's Run COVID guy. You guys remember in the spring, we had a visitor who got COVID and, you know, wrote about the experience and what it was like, and this is before a lot of people had COVID, and he'd been in the hospital and, you know, was wondering if he was going to make it at, at one point. He has asthma, I believe. So he called... He's in Florida. He's actually running again. Sounded very cheerful. And what did he want to know? I would promised him a Let's Run.com t-shirt. And we made him. He said, hey, I, I, I like these yellow shirts. Is the shirt going to come through? And I said, sure. So I'm sending him a shirt. And in this holiday season, he was thankful for the Let's Run community, thankful for his health. So it was good to hear that he's doing well. Well, that's great. Okay. I have a few COVID questions. John. Oh my god! I thought we were done with the COVID section here. And just what one question: What you know, can we possibly talk about? Well, the vaccine's about to come out, so we need to have the spring marathon. So, race directors, again, email me, Robert. Let's run. This is a huge money making opportunity. Vaccines out, we can have a mass making race. There's no races. Everyone's still canceling. It makes no sense. Secondly, John, 
you know, we're going to give the COVID vaccine to the elderly and the, I mean, people in the hospitals are starting it in one week. I heard, I saw a tweet on about that. But wait, wait, just giving, giving a COVID vaccine. If you already have COVID, that doesn't, that doesn't help. The workers in the hospital workers. Oh, okay. The workers are getting it. And then the nursing home people. But then it's going out to essential businesses and stuff like that. And, you know, I assume food supply, like poultry, beef workers. But, John, I mean, as a journalist, I, I don't want to take that title for myself. But do you think how high up on the list should you be? Like, you know, bef- should you get it before a six-year-old so you can go tra- cover the, the pre-classic without worrying about getting COVID? I mean, that would be nice. I don't think I'm in a position to make any demands. I'm 29 year old, years old. I'm healthy. Like, I'm at a... I can mostly do my job remote. It would be great to go to the Olympics, but I shouldn't be skipping any lines to get this vaccine. Well, originally, you know, Thomas Bach of the IOC said, you know, healthy athletes should be the last people to get it. But now he's got to play key the Japanese. So they're kind of like, we're going to kind of basically encourage every athlete to get it. So hopefully by the summer, people can get it. They have a new vaccine that's only like 60, 70% effective. It doesn't need to be stored at negative 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So. Maybe that'll work. Well, speaking of 2021 events, we have the Diamond League has come out with its schedule for 2021. It's tentative, obviously. You know, things could be postponed. But season's supposed to kick off in Rabat on May 23rd. And then, you know, you have a few. We've got... the, the And then it ends with the two-day final in Zurich on September 8th and 9th, uh, which is right before the NFL season kicks off, which is nice. Uh, and pre-classic will be held in Eugene... Should be held in Eugene. First pre-classic of the new Haywood Field. First pre-classic in Eugene since 2018, actually. Because remember, last year it was at Stanford, and then this year it was canceled. And my favorite running joke of the whole Diamond League is that this second Chinese meet still doesn't have a venue. We still don't know where it's going to be. They announced this the end of 2019 when they said we now have a title sponsor for 2020. It's Wanda. Part of that agreement was giving... China second Diamond League because Wander is a Chinese company. They wanted to have more exposure. They're like, oh, we'll announce the venue eventually. And they never announced it in all of 2020. And now they've announced the schedule for next year. They still don't have a venue. So that one I kind of found kind of amusing. So a couple things. One, pre is after the Olympics. Uh, I don't know. Maybe because of COVID, that might make, make some sense. But also, like, the timetable gets very – most of the meets were pushed back. So the timetable is too tight afterwards. I mean, there's still no, like – central planning on when these meets are they're kind of like a association of independent actors coming together like this chinese meet without a location is one day after pre like we we need to schedule a meet one day after pre without a location like can't we pick a better date for that meet well then i mean at first john i thought it was kind of ridiculous then we thought about it they don't want to schedule the meets early in the year because of covid then they got to have them after the year and You'll have different athletes. All the Nike athletes would probably go to pre, and then the Asian stars that are like, buddy, stay there. There's actually a Shanghai meet, so you could go Tokyo, Shanghai, the other China, or I bet they end up canceling. Yeah, it's not great planning, but we have NFL games on back-to-back days all the time. Hell, we have 10 NFL games on the same day. So That's true. I mean, you can't have meets in close succession, but I just feel like if you don't have a location for the meet, you don't need to schedule it one day after another meet. I also just think there is value in scarcity. Like, I, I understand... The NFL can put games on pretty much every day of the week and people will watch them. But like track and field, I don't know. May, I guess maybe a track and field diehard, we only do have diehards in the fan base. So maybe they will watch four Diamond Leagues in eight days. But I, I personally, that doesn't appeal to me as a fan. Like you've got Eugene, 
Then China too. So it's August 21st, August 22nd. Lausanne, August 26th. Paris, August 28th. I'm just kind of, I think I'll be DL'd out by the Paris one. I think it actually may be bad for the diehards because the fields will be a little bit watered down. You know, people may not be, be maybe be those celebrating after the Olympics. They're not racing hard. But you got to think of it from that casual fans event spe- viewpoint. You know, like someone in Kentucky goes to the Kentucky Derby. Someone here in Maryland goes to the Preakness. Like, if you're in Lausanne or whatever, and it's after the Olympics, and there's a couple Olympic stars showing up, you know, three weeks later, you take your 12 year old kid to that event, and it's we as diehards are like, oh, it's watered down, it's not as good as the Olympics, but the the local people are excited to have a couple Olympic champions. So, I'm not going to be too critical that this isn't a perfectly spaced out thing. I think what John wrote in the article is important. They cannot have the same events like don't have the men's 5,000 and back-to-back meets three days well, we're not, that's not going to be a problem Robert no well, 5,000 there's no 5,000 well please have the men's 5,000 somewhere alright instead of looking so far ahead why don't we look back we didn't mention this in the, in the show intro there was a ton of 743,000 meters run Weldon doesn't want to talk about these races but the collegian Luis Grijova of NAU has run 742 which is quite impressive he smoked Drew Hunter at the end. I mean, some people didn't like that term smoke, but if you watch the Twitter video of the last 100, I mean, it looks like Grijalva is running fast and Hunter looks like he's not running very fast. So very good performance for Grijalva. I mean, 742 for a collegiate is fantastic. And Hunter, this guy was running really slowly, what, two months ago? So to me, this is a big step forward. I'm not taking too much into this. He doesn't need to be in great shape in November. And then a few days later, Cooper Tier of Oregon, what did he run, John? Another he ran collision. 744, but I was more impressed by Cole Hawker, who was he ran 745. Like, Cooper Tier, we already knew was really good. He was top 10 at Cross last year. Cole Hawker, I mean, he was a footlocker champion in 2018. But 745 is a true sophomore. I mean, that's very, very fast. So, those are cool, cool, cool results, big results. And for some reason, Weldon has a big frown on his face. Where were these meets? Why are we running meets in November? I'm really confused. I mean, they want to race a little bit. Like these guys, NAU ran one cross-country race this fall, so they want to get their guys some competition opportunities. I mean, some a bunch of them are running the track meet in December where people are going to be going for Olympics trials. Sorry, Olympic standards. Like, you can... The Olympic standard window is reopening less than a week from now, December 1st, and so I think this is probably a tune-up for some of these guys. Like, Grialva, he's going to be thinking about trying to make the team, and I don't know. Someone was saying, like, I think Flowtrack said that he was going for the American spot, but he's also from Guatemala, and I feel like he could run for them, and that's a you know easier path to make you know making the Olympics. So I don't know what t- country he's going to be running for, but he'll definitely be you know going for that Olympics standard, as will a lot of guys at that meet in LA. I'm trying to figure out which track this meet was held in Arizona, Chandler. It's probably some high school track then. It's not a big deal. Uh, actually, there was one other event next year I wanted to talk about: British Olympic trials in the marathon. They're going to be uh, around, you know, in London, Kew Gardens, March twenty sixth, limited to around thirty men, thirty women. I'm pretty excited about this. We got a spring marathon in the schedule, baby. Oh, I guess but it's not a money offer making opportunity. With only thirty people. John, folks, full disclaimer: John, you need to you need to disclose your conflicts of interest. John is a British citizen, so of course he's excited about this. To me, I was going to make fun of you and bring this up and be like, John, are you excited for the non-binding British Olympic trials? This is Why is it non-binding? Where did you see that? Uh, There was a huge document about what it means. So 
they've listed how you make the Olympic team, and there's at least ten point nine points on it. You have to have achieved the World Athletics Qualification Standards. Number two is your world ranking. Number three is your current form. Number four is your individual medal potential. Number five is head-to-head results. Number six is previous major competition in history, which to me is absurd. Number seven is entry illness status. And the eighth most important thing for picking the Olympic team is your position at the relevant trials. Are you kidding me? We're going to have a race. You expect people to train for four fucking months. And the eighth most important thing, how are you going to pick your Olympic team? And you've already picked one man, by the way. Caleb Hawkins is on the team. So <laughs> where is this document, Robert? This is I don't stuff. know, man. I, I printed it out right here. I didn't make this up. I haven't seen it. I would like to know where you got it from. I don't know. Although you printed I, it out, you don't have a link to the website you can share with me. You, you did catch something in my other show notes, which was fake news. So maybe not. I'll try. Oh, okay. If this is look, if it's if that's true, that's outrageous. I mean, they already have four. They have four women and four men with the standard. So, I, and th- this course is supposed to be pretty fast. So some athletes might be able to get the standard on the day, but it's pretty simple. If you're having a trials, send the top three. Like Callum Hawkins. All right, yeah, he's Britain's best marathoner. I mean, Mo Farah's gone back to the track. It's pretty obvious that Callum Hawkins should be on the team. And then the next two guys at the trials, if they have the standard, send them. Same with the women. Top three women with the standard, send them. Simple. I agree. Now, that reminds me of last week's podcast where I had my idea to pick the Kenyan Olympic team. And if you weren't here... I said, the best way to pick an Olympic marathon team is, John's like, I said, this is to run a 30K time trial about a month before the Olympic Games. John's like, why wouldn't you run a full marathon? Because when you run a full marathon, you have to start up a whole new training cycle. and You don't know how people are injured or whatever four or five months later. Going back to last week's podcast, like we did with the Kin Go thing earlier, will you guys agree that the best way to pick fit people for that race, the only way to know if they're in shape is to run a 30K time trial? a month out we never really got you on record to say yes or no i'm not going to say that's the best because a 30k is not a full marathon robert so you'd you'd rather run a marathon four months out and see how they recover from that and restart a new cycle okay go ahead i think running a marathon is a better test of marathon ability like and okay current fitness like robert i would rather john to rather know someone's marathon ability let's let's say we're talking about 100 100 scale i'd rather you know would I rather pick the 99 talent level over the 97 talent level? Yes, but not if they're at, at 70% fitness versus 80% fitness. I'd rather pick the 80% fitness person person. So, How many weeks out would you do it? I would do it as, as close to the race as possible. Four or five weeks. I don't know how many, how many weeks they need the names. I don't know. I mean, someone who's peaking, someone who's absolutely peaked four weeks out may not be the best guy four weeks later. I mean, that sort of thing. Maybe they run themselves ragged in that race, and there's all sorts of things to look at. There's no perfect solution. Yeah, actually, I agree with that. That's the bigger thing. You're throwing this in the middle of the build-up for the biggest race of their lives. But you, ha- you know, these if you have a trials race, athletes are naturally going to try to peak and throw everything they have into this trials race as opposed to throwing everything they have into the Olympic Games themselves. So I'm standing by my opinion of having a trials race in, like in the spring. Speaking of big races, oh my God. Do you guys realize? I think it's going on right now. Killian Jornet is trying to break the greatest, what we call the greatest world record in, in running, or at least ultra running. When we did our ultra marathon expiration last year, I think it was, or year before, sponsored by Hoka Onani, we called Giannis Kornis's 24-hour record as the greatest ultra marathon world record. Apparently, killing Jornet, who is more known as a mountain runner, is going for it right now. 188.59 miles, zero miles. I would give him a 0% chance or close to 0% chance of breaking this, but why would he go for it if he couldn't break it? 
Is he the GOAT if he gets this record? I don't know enough about it to state that, John. All right, one more thing. There is another big race this weekend. I was just going to mention Etel Delhi Half Marathon. Uh, I don't know exactly what time this race is at because the race website is not good. But the fields are really, really good. you got Mukhtar Idris making his half marathon debut. Abraham Cherubim, 58-40 guy from Bahrain. Uh, M. DeWork, well and He was a bronze medalist at World Half. And then the women's race is absolutely ridiculous. You've got Battle of the World Record holders, Bridget Kosgai versus Abel Yashana. That's the full and half marathon world record holders. you also got Ruth Chepengedich, the world champion. Uh it's just a totally stacked race. I mean, we're pretty much just going to be able to see the results, I think, because I don't know of a well, live stream. But... Well, come on, John. What's the time difference with Indy anyway? So yeah, this, I mean, this I'm... race is always in the morning and you can't watch it in the US anyway. So No, I don't want to rip them for that. I'm not trying to rip them. I'm saying it's a great field. And I'd be interested to see the results. They're putting on a race with a huge expense with no mass field. So they, they always put on a ton of money and they're not getting a lot of money for entry fees in India to begin with. So kudos to them. And by the way, John, you had the you you broke the story this morning, the RAK half in February, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to have the same two women, the world record holders, the half marathon and marathon battling there. Plus, you're going to have the one Jabe Kaplimo, the one and two, the gold and silver medalist from the world half marathon championships are going to be running that as well. RAK half, so a lot of half marathon action because well, we've got Sarah no Hull. That's the big news. Sarah Hole is running RAK. Americans usually shy away from this race because they know they're going to get smoked because there's always always top Ethiopians and Africa and Kenyans running it. Sarah Hall's going out there and testing a medal. I'm, I'm very excited by that. Uh, Galen Rupp, Alberto. Alberto, if you're listening, send a text message to Galen. This would not be considered coaching. Just say, hey, RIK half is going on. Sarah Hall's going. You, you can share a plane ride with her. And Alberto, if you're listening, we used to, you know, beg alberto to be in the podcast no uh, alberto you want to be on this podcast you gotta pay baby that's what the top coaches are doing now don't forget we got ben rosario talking about his team and the virtual marathon challenge coming up but before that one thing real quickly this it's called the airtel new delhi half marathon is that what it's called airtel delhi half marathon yes like okay as robert pointed out there's no mass race yet they're still doing this is this thing on TV? Am I curious about the money about this? Like, we can have this thing, but we can't have a New York City Marathon. The New York City Marathon people couldn't hold something this year, professional fields. If, like, we're having this race in India with professional fields, someone needs to figure this out. We need more people to figure stuff out like this. Because this isn't – you don't have some, like, shake or king or one of these Middle Eastern countries with, like, money just throwing around doing it. Like, this is, like, a legit – I've always wondered where this money for this race comes from, Weldon. Yeah, this is great. Someone needs to look into this. My guess is Airtel, which is the title sponsor, probably puts money into it. But usually there's a mass event. I figured no mass event. They'd cancel, but who knows? I'd be very interested to hear their financial arrangements as well. I'm glad it's happening. I just wish that the race website would tell us what time it starts. I mean, maybe I can't watch it live, but I feel like it's helpful information. It's one of my number one pet peeves on race websites. Tell us the time and date of your event. That should be front and center. Well, we need to figure out who's... The agents behind this meet, I'm sure the agents can put you in touch with the race directors, John. Boots on the ground journalism, like figure this out. We'll have the Airtel Delhi half marathon race director on next weekend's podcast. Who knows? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Well, I think I should have Jeff Burns on, my shoe expert. He actually ran the JFK 50 miler. I talked to him about that as well. But I want to talk about another, another road race. And John, how are you doing? Did you see Ben True's result from last week? No. Ben True, folks, Dartmouth grad like Jonathan Galt. At least we assume he's a grad. 
has run the Run Jam Mile. This is another race. I don't know where the money comes from. It's a one-mile race. I assume it was a remote competition where athletes were videoed and timed by local observers, and those videos were shared live online in a prearranged 15-minute time slots. Had $1,500 first place, $750 third place, $750 dollars for third. Winning time was 412. Ben True ran it, John. Maybe he thought he could pick up some easy money. He was only fourth place, and he ran 458 for the mile. This is a 13. Okay, this is just a joke result. Then why do I even care? Like, I'm just saying that Ben True could run a 458 mile like up a hill. He could run it at the end of a half marathon. Why do I? I mean, clearly he wasn't taking it seriously. I'm not. I'm not worried in Ben True. I'm still a believer, baby. If he had run 434, he would have picked up 300. dollars If he had run 412, he would have picked up 1500. dollars And I also have another road race result. This is more on the more encouraging thing. Former podcast guest. Vitaly Stepanov, the hero, folks. Read his book. What's the name of it, John? The new book that's out? The Russian Affair by David Walsh. By the way, Vitaly sent me a hard copy edition. I just got it last week. Thank you, Vitaly. I haven't sent you the text message to thank you. But he, on the podcast when he was a guest a few weeks ago, this is, this is the Russian husband who helped bring down the doping scandal. We know who Vitaly Stepanov is. Well, not everybody does. I'm just saying. Anyways, he downplayed. He said he loves to run, but he's not talented. That's not totally true, folks. He's run the Pumpkin Pie 5,000 meters. It's the USATF Colorado 5K Championships. This is at altitude. And he just missed winning prize money. Winning time was 1449 400 bucks. 1503 was second. 1617 that was third, and $100. And Vitaly just missed cashing his first check, probably of his life, at 1621 Vitaly, you're only four seconds from being a professional Runner like your wife, do not give up. Or don't turn to the dark side. The oh, pressure wow. can get to him now. The pressure can get to him now, man. He he led the fight, but now the glory's there for him. So, like, don't dope to get that $100. It's not worth it. That's you, true. You've, you've, you've cleaned up the sport. Now the pressures could get to you, like all the top athletes. Speaking of doping, did you guys see that, you know, Mo Farah, he's on this reality TV show in Britain and started, you know, all these British tabloids. They had an article. Many viewers thought based on a photo that Mo Farah had a cell phone in this Scottish castle. You're not supposed to have any like modern stuff. And many people are like, he's still clearly looking into a cell phone. I looked at the photo and didn't really think it was a cell phone, but somebody posted on the message board, like certainly wouldn't be the first time Mo Farah went, in, went into the gray area. If he snuck it. Well, I, to me, the most interesting thing is I want the testers to show up and test him while he's on the set of this TV show. I mean, whereabouts? He oh, wow, his John. whereabouts is this Welsh castle. This needs to be on the show. They need to show up and test him. That would be great. Oh, my God. Wada, please go. It'd be free publicity for, like, drug testing, how important it is. Wow. Well, or, like, could, actually, could you imagine this? This scandal, this breaks 2021. Mo Farah missed a test while he was on I'm a Celebrity because he didn't set his whereabouts. I mean, I feel like that would be ridiculous. Well, he's not allowed to update his thing now because he has no technology. It's not well, fair. He should have. He sh- if he said it correctly, he wouldn't need to worry about it. All right, Ben Rosario coming up very soon. One th- one thing I do want to say before we get to Ben Rosario though, C.J. Albertson ran a two ten marathon in his treadmill last week, and I've seen like no publicity of it. I'm writing a story on it right now. This to me is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen. I'm not doubting the authenticity. I think he actually did this. I just think it's crazy that some guy just ran a two ten marathon on his treadmill and no one's talking about it. Hey guys, real quick before we get to the interview, I always find a nugget of wisdom in my, when I read race results weekly every week. If you want to subscribe, check it out. Anyways, well then, I, was, I saw this thing, I couldn't believe it. 
there was apparently a 10,000 held in Canada last week. And Luke Bruchette won in 28-17. 33. And David Monty writes, This is the fastest time on Canadian soil since Jeff Siebler ran 28.07.06 at Worlds in Edmonton in 2001. Oh, it must be the fastest time by a Canadian. Maybe that's what they mean. But Weldon, Weldon ran 28.06 on Canadian soil, right? In 2001. No, that's not true. Not true? Oh, and that Mead and McGill? 28.10. 28.10. John, please confirm. My big international victory, winning the McGill Invitational over a couple Mexican Olympians. Those guys were actually pretty good. They made finals of Worlds, and I just dusted those guys. And then got beaten up in the parking lot with track Smith Matt Taylor. Maybe we'll tell that story to subscribers at some point. Not really beaten up, but it's a good story. All right, everyone. It's time for the Ben Rosario interview, and it's time for Thanksgiving. Go to themarathonproject.com to sign up for the virtual challenge of 2020. You can do 5K, 10K, half marathon, and marathon, and the mileage mania challenge, and you can support your favorite pro, and get a half zip, and a finisher medal. This is what you need to sign up for. Ben talks about how this race came about and his team's amazing success this year. And they've got a couple big signings this year, John. The Hoka NAZ elites are keeping the pedal to the metal. Tyler Day, Julia Conan, yeah. Should be uh, should be pretty exciting to see how they can do at this marathon project. Tyler Day's not running it, I don't think, but Julia is. Nope. And they even had a COVID positive on their team. We talk about that. Can I just give out a real shout out real quick to Hoka? I mean, that's what I've been wearing recently. Love the Carbon X. But my 75, 76 year old aunt called me up and she's like, Do you know anything about this shoe called Hoka? My friend says everybody in Dallas is wearing them. So there you go, Hoka. You're going mainstream. All right, everybody. Here's Ben Rosario and have a happy Thanksgiving. All right, everyone. We're joined by Ben Rosario, the. Hoka NAZ Elite head coach, frequent guest of the podcast, and now he's got a new new title, new job. He's the race director, co-founder, I'm not sure exactly what he is, of the Marathon Project 2020. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Weldon. I think this is my third appearance, so I'm getting used to it. Yeah, I think you you might be the most frequent guest of the podcast, so thanks for joining us. And also now... You're paying me to, in some ways to be on this podcast with the Marathon Project being an advertiser on Let'sRun.com. And you said you want to talk about the virtual challenge. And we said, sure. And then I'm like, wait, I want to know what's going on with your group. I mean, it's 2020 has been a crazy year, but people shouldn't forget you are the coach of Alephine Tillamook, the 2020 Olympic Marathon Trials champion. You also had, I think, the what sixth place finisher, eighth place finisher. You've now signed the 10th place finisher to your team. So a lot of good things going on in a crazy year with your group. Yeah, we've been we've been super pleased. Uh, I was thinking about it the other day, and somehow or another we've managed to set team records, I guess, on the men's side at 3K, 5K, half marathon, and hopefully 10K and marathon here in the next month um, because Tyler Day is running the 10,000 um, at the track meet, Jesse Williams's meet, and then – Obviously, we've got guys running the the marathon project, we think, which we think is going to be really fast. And then the women, the same thing. They've set team records at 5K, 10K, half marathon, and 
hopefully marathon here next month. So we and, and as you say, we we put a person on the Olympic team and won the Olympic trials. So I mean, for us, honestly, it's been a great year performance wise, despite all the craziness. It's been a crazy year. We we can go back and talk about the the trials in a minute because. In some ways, that was like the last great event we've all been to. I got back from that one and had the flu. <laughs> Did you just have the flu? Or do a we couple know? weeks later, I might be thinking I'm, I probably didn't have the flu. I got a flu test, so I, I, yeah, I'm 80% confident I didn't have anything else in addition to the flu, but I don't know. It's, it's a whole other world back then. But let's first talk about this marathon project because there's a big marathon coming up in America this year, at least for the pros. It's December, you're going to know the date better than me. December 20th. December 20th. That's great, right before Christmas. Chancellor, Arizona, which is the Phoenix area. And you guys have a stacked field. First of all, you have Sarah Hall second coming off her second place in the Virgin London Marathon. I mean, she's, what, America's fastest female marathoner right now. You've got your runners, Kellen Taylor, running it. You're not Alphine's not running, but Kellen, Kellen and uh, Steph, Steph are running, but but Alphine is running uh, or is um, is waiting for the Olympics. That'll be her next marathon. Yeah. Who else on the women's side? I guess is running this. And then Ju- Julia Conan, who you Ju- Julia Conan, who you mentioned, is running as well. So Julia was tenth at the trials, and she joined our team uh, this fall. So Steph, Kellen, and Julia on the women's side, and then we have Scott Fauble, Scott Smith, Rory Linkletter, and Sid Vaughn on the men's side. And then you've also got. Augustus Mayo, uh, Colin Binney, Martin here, and guy from Mexico who's run what two ten two a two eight fifty five I think is is Jose Mourinho's PR and we have uh, a couple of very good Eritrean athletes Emmanuel and Daniel um, we have good Ukrainian athlete but all these people are training here in North America so we're not having anybody come from overseas but what we wanted an international flavor but we didn't want to. Uh, quite frankly, deal with with the um, the issues uh, via COVID that 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 you have to deal with when people are coming from overseas. So we we feel like we've created an incredible field, and and um, all we really did was just put the word out, and uh, and they and they came to us because there's no other options, and we wanted to create an opportunity for people to race a marathon, do their job. And hopefully make some money via via their sponsor bonuses, and, and and for some of the international athletes, give them an opportunity to make the Olympic team uh, for their country, Mexico, Canada. Like I said, there's a lot of other countries involved as well. Lexi Pappas is trying to hit the Greek standard, um, or, or make the Greek team, I should say. And you know, essentially, those athletes just have to hit the standard. So two eleven thirty for the men, two twenty nine thirty for the women, and we will have pace groups at that uh, rhythm for those athletes. Yep, Cam Evans is running. Is he, is he still running? Cam Levins is running. He's uh, very fit as far as I understand. He dropped out of London, um, but uh, I'm not exactly sure why, but he, he, from what I understand, he's very fit. And, you know, he's the Canadian national record holder. You know, who knows? We, he could lower that time, get a Canadian national record again and make the, make the team all in one fell swoop. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, there's a ton of storylines. There's a Jordanian athlete trying to set his his national record. Uh, we have an athlete from Israel trying to make the Olympic team. It's it's the the storylines are um, a plenty. I mean, it's a tremendous field. It's amazing you guys put this on. And before we got on the air here, I was sort of asking, you know, how did this thing come about? Like, were you just looking for a race for your own athletes? No one else is putting one on. I, th- I think it's unusual for 
a coach to put on a marathon of, of this caliber by himself. And I, I know Josh Cox is helping you, but sort of tell everyone how this thing came about. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's a lot of people doing a lot of great things. You know, this summer, whether it was Lee Troop in the Boulder Track Club or Kevin Hansen and um, the Hansen's team and what they did, not only over the summer with some of the cool virtual things they did, but then the Michigan events that they had in October, um, you know, Jerry and the Bowerman group did a wonderful job. So a lot of coaches and athletes have been working hard to create opportunities for, for themselves and others um, during this difficult time. Um, but what I did with this one was, uh, you know, I just texted Josh Cox in the summer and said, look, now we need a marathon because you could see that these track meets were happening and they were successful, but we really needed a marathon because I think like you and I talked about beforehand, if you're a true marathoner, you really have not had any opportunities in a long time. Uh, if you were an American, at least you had the trials in February but look, only only six people walk away happy from there. So you had a lot of people that wanted to run a fall marathon, and that was, you know, this is their job. Um, this is this is what they do for a living, and this is their passion. And you know, I was telling you before, like our thinking was, hey, just like every other industry, we're just trying to survive here, you know. And whether it's a restaurant pivoting to, to curbside, or or whether it's um, you know um, some of the uh, race management companies that have pivoted to virtual, and we'll get to our virtual event in a minute. But you, you just you just have to find a way uh, to survive. And so this, the thinking here was, hey, if we only have 50 athletes on each side, 50 men, 50 women, we have them get tested beforehand. We follow all the World Athletics guidelines, all the USATF guidelines. Uh, we don't allow spectators. We bring them into one area, isolated in in Chandler, Arizona. This this area that we're going to be in is very isolated. <clears throat> we we can hold this event safely and we can keep the sport going. <laughs> that was that was essentially the the impetus for it. And and then we had to get a really good race management company and we we talked to a lot of different ones but but we ended up going with Matt Helbig and Big River Race Management out of St. Louis. Matt's my old business partner. I trust him implicitly. In fact, I just got off a, a site plan Zoom call with him and his team and they are they are doing an amazing job. The the, the athletes are going to be very impressed with how smooth this this um operation is on the 20th and it'll be streamed live right people can watch it yeah so i, w- I wish uh, in some ways this podcast was taking a-, a place just a few days later we're we're very close to being able to announce exactly what that broadcast uh is going to look like but i can tell you that people will be able to watch it and i think you're going to be pleasantly surprised with the with the broadcast partnership for sure all right something to look forward to and previously you know I guess I was totally wrong because I said, oh, it's unusual for coaches to be putting on these things. And you pointed out essentially with Bowerman and the Michigan Academy that the Hansons put on, like the coaches have actually been putting on all the meets this year. I mean, coaches or some combination of smaller race directors, I would say. So I think before we were talking, I was like, wait, why doesn't USATF do this? And you're like, no, USATF is a governing body. Essentially, they put on national championships and that's kind of it, right? It's not, there is no pro track and field organization so it's it's fallen on the pro track athletes and pro track coaches to keep this going thought that was a very interesting perspective and you know you said you had to play offense on this and i'm I'm glad you did you're becoming like i don't know if i should call you vinland anna jr but you're, you're getting things done in this sport so well thank you um you know it just feels very normal to me because you know, I did own running stores for six years and this is what we did. We just 
put on cool events all the time and we just did what had to be done. Um, and this just feels like that again. Actually, I was just telling my wife that these, these past couple of months have felt a lot like uh, the last couple of months I was in St. Louis, uh, which wasn't sustainable, by the way. So I better get this over with and get back to what I really love to do, which is coach uh, coach the athletes. But uh, no, nah, this I just did feel like uh, we, we had to do this. And again, I couldn't be doing this without Josh and without Matt. It's definitely a team um, team effort. And, and my wife, Jen, is heavily involved. And Josh's wife, Carrie, is heavily involved. So it, it's definitely a team putting this thing on. And then also the agents and athletes and coaches that are that are doing it, they're doing a great job because we're relying on them to put out the word about the virtual challenge and to take care of their testing at, at home before they come. And we're asking a lot of them too. So it, it's it's a huge team effort. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the virtual challenge because so far the race, you know, you guys don't have any title sponsors or anything and you created the race first and now you're trying to, I think, try to help generate some revenue and interest for it, which is a great thing because, you know, if the athletes, if there's going to be prize money, you said, you know, you need to generate revenue first. I think the virtual challenge is one of these things that sounds like great for the Let's Run audience. So the virtual challenge, it kicks off what the 25th what day is that 20 25th so what we did was we went 26 days backwards from the race so it's a 26 day virtual challenge we actually did have this on our original plan we always were going to have a virtual challenge or a virtual race of some kind in conjunction with the pro race so that people could feel could feel even more involved um to your point about the let's run crowd I've, i think I hope anyway that this is absolutely um, appealing to them because you're helping the pro world. You know, you're helping you're helping the sport uh, exist because this is generating revenue for for the professional race on the twentieth. But I would also say that's not the only reason. We we do want the folks having uh, or th- that are participating in the virtual challenge to have a real experience, and they have a number of ways to enjoy that experience. So we're giving you the option of running up to four races a 5k, a 10k, a half, and a full marathon. There's leaderboards within the Run Sign Up Marathon Project Virtual Challenge site. So, you know, if you're a really competitive person and you want to get up on top of the leaderboard, you can do that and you can have fun with that. You can also just log as many miles as you can. Uh, That's the mileage madness component that we've created. So you'll see that leaderboard on there as well. Or if you're just a person that wants to participate, wants to get the cool uh, half zip jacket, wants to get the medal, and you've been doing a lot of virtual races, or maybe you haven't done any yet and you want to try one, I think this one will be really, really fun. One of the more unique aspects of, of this particular virtual challenge is the interaction with the professional athletes. So for example, you can sign up for this Marathon Project Virtual Challenge and you can sign up to be a part of Sarah Hall's team or Scott Fauble's team or whoever your favorite runner is, right? And and actually, that's going very well. People are definitely signing up. And so Sarah Hall is kind of your captain, right? Or Steph Bruce is your captain for, for or Kellen Taylor, whoever it might be. And you're then able to um, join all these other fans of Sarah or Steph or Kellen or Scott or whoever, Noah Drotty, whoever it might be, right? And you're you're participating as a part of their team with the thinking being that hey this is your chance to to race for your team and then Sarah or Steph or Noah or Scott then their chance is on December 20th so they kind of cheer for you uh, over the course of the virtual challenge and then you cheer for them on race day and so we're encouraging the athletes once this thing gets started on Wednesday to send shout outs to their team and 
you know, kind of interact with their, their teammates, if you will, in that sense. You know, I know Steph Bruce is sending out picky, a picky bar package to all the athletes that sign up to be a part of her team, things like that. And, you know, it's just, it's just a way to connect the pros and the participants in the virtual challenge. Um, you do get you do get the same things that the athletes are going to get too. That the half zip that you get is really really nice, and then the medal that that everybody that's in the virtual challenge gets is the same medal that the top ten finishers will get uh, on December twentieth. So there's a lot of overlap, and and um, I, I think it is pretty unique in in that sense. It seems like a great value too. Fifty bucks for all of this half zip medal. And you, it's not like one race. You know, a lot of people sign up for one virtual race. You can do four virtual races if you want to. I mean, what, the half, 5K, 10K marathon, that's four. Yep. And the mileage challenge. Or you can do just one. Like a guy like myself doesn't run that too much these days. I'm like, oh, could I even do a 10K race? I'm like, for sure I could do a 5K. The 5K is kind of appealing to me. But it's a marathon challenge, so I'm like, oh, I probably should push myself. So, 2BD. 2BD. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think I think it's cool, right? Because that's one thing that has been a positive from all these virtual races is being able to open up a race to runners across the globe that wouldn't otherwise be able to, let's say, come to Arizona to do a race. So, I mean, we could have people running this thing in all corners of the globe, and I think that's kind of neat. Uh, it'll be neat to see the leaderboard and where these people are from and, and how – how widespread our our sport really is, and and how widespread our our fans, uh, or, or how um, how diverse our fan base is. I, I think you saw at the trials, which you mentioned earlier, uh, how healthy the sport is right now in terms of fans. I, I think uh, it's healthier than it's ever been. So hopefully this this challenge will give those fans a chance to participate, even though they can't be there in Arizona. Yep, I mean the trials, marathon trials this year was tremendous. I think we talked about this right after the trials. We thought it was the best one we've been to. I mean, there was 250,000 people out there. I mean, that's that's enormous. It was massive. Maybe it's not a coincidence that COVID took off in America right after that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's bad. <laughs> bad joke, bad joke, people. Um, it was already in New York. Anyway, um, but let's, let's pivot a bit and sort of talk about your team and what you guys have been doing this year in this, this difficult year. Um, I guess – you know, what's, I think the last time we talked, it was right after the trials, Alephine had won, you know, the Olympics hadn't been canceled any, or postponed, all of that stuff. I guess first with her, how how is she doing? Has it been easy to, to shift focus? She's not doing this race. Sort of what was some of the thinking with all, with her preparations? At first, it was very tough to accept that the Olympics weren't going to happen. That's not easy. And she always had a very good sort of humanitarian view on the whole thing where, hey, she knew that there were a lot worse things going on in the world than her not being able to run in the Olympics. But nonetheless, it's still difficult to swallow. So that was a period of time, I think, before acceptance set in. And then she got down to business and and sort of planned out her year. And I think you'll be hearing more about her plans here shortly. But um you know, the, the, she's going to run in the Olympics and, and they're going to happen. And we believe that and we're excited about that. So that's the main thing. But she's been able to spend a lot of time uh, with her partner, Tim, in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And, you know, they'll be moving here to Flagstaff full time fairly soon. And, you know, there's been real no rush. There's been no real rush on my end to get Alphine in, in shape. I think uh, she'll be ready for Tokyo. Yeah, I guess Olympics happening next year. I'm 
extremely confident they're going to happen. Are, are you of the same on the same thinking there? I was confident even a month ago because I felt like they had no choice. They had to figure. I mean, look, desperation will drive you to do uh, pretty incredible things sometimes, and the Olympics as an organization have to they have to go on i mean they're going to they're going to have to find a way to do it safely but then now in the last week or two i guess in the last week you know we found out that these vaccines are really far along and really promising and and actually are basically ready to go so now i think i'm even more optimistic that not only will the olympics go on but they'll have some sense of normalcy to them and that's really exciting. I certainly want to go. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't want it to be athletes only. I hope, I hope I can go and I hope fans can go if it's safe, but it, it does start, it is starting to look that way. Yeah. I didn't even thought about the fan component, but kind of like you, even before the vaccines, I'm like, they're going to have the Olympics. I mean, that's one thing, especially when there's, I and mean, there is money involved, but there's a lot of money. If, if they're not held, they're the only billion dollar sporting event that won't have been held in the year everything everyone else has figured out a way to hold their events you know various measures have been taken and i would say most sporting events seems like have gone off relatively safely which is good so uh, you know ideally yeah olympics is about people from all over the world coming together fans that sort of stuff and that's going to be probably the last thing to come together with all of this but with the vaccines there's some hope and optimism and who knows, you know? Um, I guess the, the rest of your team sort of – well, I guess one quick other question on Alethane. Do you think she got the recognition that, the, that, that she deserved from the, the trials? Like stuff shut down. There were some complaints online. I guess can people online complain about everything that, you know, Molly got more attention than her because she was the barista that won the – or didn't win that made the team in her first marathon – um, but I generally think people love that story. I won the Marine Corps marathon on my first marathon and people made on the news, they made it sound like I'd never run a step in my life. So, but do you think, I think a lot of people were surprised Alphine won that race. You weren't, but do you think this year, I mean, she didn't get to go to the Olympics right away. There was no fall marathon, which would have been a huge payday for her. I mean, do you think, or do you think she'll get, her recognition next year when the games actually happen and the performance she puts on there, or uh, it's just all so different than what we're used to. I'm really pleased with, with, with how the fans have taken to Alephine, um since, since the trial she's built a, a lot of it is kudos to her really, because she's put herself out there. She's been very active on social media. She's making her beanies and thanking everyone for buying them and putting them, putting their pictures up on her own Instagram story. And, you know, all that stuff sounds, um, you know, frivolous in, 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 um, in a micro view, but, but from a macro view, she's, she's really, um, she's really become quite a star, I think over the last few months. And, and a lot of it, like I say, is her own doing. And, and, uh, we've, we've tried to amplify her, her brand. And so has Howie management, her, her management team. And I think it's been great. I think it's been great. I think some of those complaints you're talking about were more referencing the broadcast itself and maybe a lack of um, acknowledgement of what was going on uh, on the day. And, you know, to me, that stuff's in the past. And um, I think um, I think we're just moving forward at this point. Yep. Makes sense. And so your your team, I mean, you guys won the Michigan Academy as a team. That was a very cool event. And kudos to you guys, because also I think not that you weren't already established, but as you said at the beginning, this has been a great year for the team. You Number one of the trials, I mean, you win the trials. There's something about winning that really puts you on the map. 
and then you go into the Michigan Ekaden, and you guys were the big favorites on paper, and sometimes there's a lot of pressure with that. You won as expected, but I think that's a testament to where your team is now. And then in addition, you guys have signed, I would say, your best athletes ever. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but Tyler Day, he's – or yeah, he still is, I guess, what, the American – Collegiate record holder at 5K, 13-16 indoors. I mean, it's super fast. Julia Conan, 10th at the trials. One, I guess it's a couple things related to that. Like During COVID, a lot of programs haven't been signing athletes. Did you guys think about putting pause? Did Hoka think about putting pause? Or you guys said, hey, no, this, there's opportunity now because other people aren't signing people. Kind of, How did their signings come about? Well, it was sort of a chronological thing for us because we were negotiating our new contract with Hoka, which we which we did sign. So that was first and foremost. So that takes us all the way through 2024. It's a massive increase in funding for our team. It gives us a ton of flexibility to sign athletes like Tyler and Julia, uh, not only in the short term, but also moving forward. Uh, we Now we're, I mean, really there's... Um, you know, there's 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 nothing uh, that's holding us back. I mean, we, we're an absolutely full-on professional group. Our athletes have some of our athletes, our top athletes have big salaries, big base compensations, and uh, you know, we have a ton of ancillary things that that we're able to pay for in terms of you know health insurance and massage and chiropractic work and travel and you know travel trips and we're, we're I mean we're we're every bit the professional group uh, that you know, um, we're, we're every bit as professional as anybody out there. And, and we have every bit, uh, we have every, <clears throat> every opportunity now moving forward to compete at the, at the very highest level. So once that was agreed upon, then it was, um, a matter of, of signing a couple of new athletes. We never pressed pause on the recruiting. We did press pause on, you know, actually putting pen to paper. Um, Hoka, you know, was, was rightfully so, um, I'm not going to say cautious, but, um, but aware of the fact that they needed to make sure and see how this thing was going and how their business was going. And luckily it's been going gangbusters. I mean, Hoka's crushing it online and, and now that stores are back open, they're doing very, very well and uh, across the country and across the world. So it's all because of Hoka that we're able to do these things. But yeah, we, we were able to sign Tyler and Julia and we're excited about them and we're excited about adding people like them in the future. Sounds like Hoka gave you guys a big, contract extension which is great and the way you guys work right is like then you go sign the individual athletes they're contracted to your team well we we've made a we've made a switch in structure which i really like um now instead of one lump sum under which we have to manage everyone's base compensation now we have a big lump sum for the team that covers administration salaries and costs and then Hoka signs the individual athletes to our team. So it's sort of a Venn diagram, if you will. You're, the athlete is signing with NAZ Elite and with Hoka. So the the majority of their base camp compensation comes from Hoka, and then a portion of it comes from NAZ Elite. Uh, that allows us to um, have our group health insurance plan. So that's an option for the athletes is to be on that plan, and, and we pay for that individual health insurance underneath that lump sum that I spoke of. Uh, but again, it's it's the flexibility piece that's really nice. So now, you know, let's say let's say we're in the last year of our contract, and and we're sort of um, 
at our cap, if you will, and unable to sign anyone, which which has been the case in the past, where you know, hey, we're we're kind of kind of up against it. We we can't sign anybody right now because our lump sum is is all spoken for. Um, now it's not that way. Now Hoka is is in charge uh, of those those individual base compensation or it, they're in charge of that individual base compensation piece. And so, you know, they're, they're able to, for, for lack of a better phrase, they're, they're able to spend more money and, and, um, and get the, get us the people that we need to, to succeed at the highest level. Yeah. It seems like a better model. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's been, a, it's been a evolution, right? And so, yeah, I do, I do think this is the best, uh, best model we've had thus far. I mean, starting out and see why it, it worked the other way and but once you build the trust you kind of need their financial flexibility to hey you know alephine wins the trials like okay it's probably a lot more expensive to keep her around now than (laughs) you know it's a good thing if it's done right it's great for her it's great for hoka it's great for you but your previous budget probably didn't cover that right so that sort of thing Correct. Yeah, you're exactly right, and it's it's really it's really a great model now, and and the trust is is very good. The trust between um, NAZ Elite as an entity and and Hoka as a company is very good. One thing I haven't seen a lot written about or talked about is COVID's got ahead to have been a huge financial impact on the athletes. I mean, they're not racing, especially probably some of your runners, because a marathoner. I don't know. I mean, you would know better than me, but some of them can make the vast majority of their money or half of it or something from appearance fees at major races and then those are some of the the stars at the sport but then the lower end athletes they rely on you know getting two thousand dollars here at a road race three thousand dollars here like that that extra if you're not making a lot of money in the sport and you make an extra ten thousand dollars road racing that's a huge chunk of your money and all of that's gone now so like how would you say have you seen a financial impact to your athletes or is it just like everybody, everybody's sort of a, a, adapting and making use of it. I mean, the good thing with your athletes is they have the support from Hoka. So, you know, the day-to-day essentials are sort of taken care of, but ha- has that been an issue for your athletes this year? Of course, of course it's been an issue. Um, you know, <clears throat> again, what you're describing is exactly the case. The, the big city world marathon majors, particularly the ones in the United States, and if we're talking about American athletes, um, the American athletes get really good appearance fees to, to go to those races. And then on top of that, they make prize money or they oftentimes have an individual bonus structure with the race based on what place they finish, what time they finish in, etc. Then they have a similar bonus structure, which is even greater typically with their shoe sponsor. So time bonuses, place bonuses at World Marathon Majors. Those things can be, you know, you you could go to a New York City marathon if you're a really big star. And between the appearance fee and the bonuses that you make from the race and from your sponsor, you could actually make more than your base compensation, even if your base compensation is a pretty decent number. And so when you think about it that way, some of these athletes are missing out on half of their typical salary or, or their typical income, I should say, for, for, a, for a given year um, when New York and Chicago and Boston you know, were canceled. So <clears throat> that was the impetus for the Marathon Project was at least we were giving these athletes, all the athletes, not just my own, an opportunity to collect on some of those shoe company bonuses for time. 
Now, the Marathon Project is a new event, so that particular event isn't going to be on their bonus schedule from a place standpoint. But the time, and I don't even like time trials really, <laughs> but we don't really have a choice. Uh, if we want to give these athletes an opportunity to make money, it's really going to be via the time. So we're going to try to make this race as, as fast as possible. Um, so to answer your question, yes, I mean, it's affected the, the top athletes and it's affected the, the athletes that are scraping by making 2000, 3000 bucks here at there, here and there at road races. And so the final thing I would, I would just say to, to wrap that up is that, and I think I made the point earlier, but again, we're just trying to survive here, people, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, uh, we're, we're an industry like anybody else and we don't expect to, necessarily take a giant step forward with this race we're just we're just trying to survive you know we're trying to give the fans something to watch we're trying to give the athletes something to compete in we're trying to give the 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 sponsors of these individual athletes something you know we're trying to create some roi for these athletes as well for for their for their individual sponsors so it's there's a lot of tentacles here and and this this particular event does it does cover a lot of those things and you know we're excited about it yeah. The good thing for running as a whole is people are probably running more than ever. I mean, people are exercising, they're out there. So advertising through athletes, professional athletes, reaching, you know, the, uh, our belief at Let's Run is like those people are very influential and you start at the top of the pyramid and it, you know, the influence goes all the way down to the bottom. So you still need to reach those people. I, I guess one you know, like we're talking about these races being canceled. Well, the spring marathons are pretty much all canceled. Although Rojo claims he wants to put on a let's run.com marathon, like with people, like, you know, not just elites. I don't know if that's going to happen or if, obviously we want to do it safely, but I saw something in the Washington Post today. There's some million dollar triathlon being put on with, I think people for sure pros, but I don't know, maybe it could be done in warmer weather states in the spring, but we'll we'll get to that date. But all the fall marathons have now, or spring marathons have been pushed to the fall. All the fall marathons that were, you know, everything's going to be fall, hopefully, of 2021. But my question is, and I haven't heard this discussed anywhere, is there any concern with you guys that the New Yorks, the Bostons, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, you know, like we didn't, we didn't happen last year. We got to save money. We're not going to put as much money to the pros. You know, like we don't need you guys. You're not as important. I, I haven't heard that, you know, who knows how budgets are going to look for each individual entity, but I would say that take New York Roadrunners, for example, they still see, as they always have, a value in the professional athletes. When they were putting on their virtual marathon in November, what did they do? They brought on Stephanie Bruce. They brought on Emily Sisson. They brought on Dana Castor to help promote their virtual challenge. They see the value in the professional athletes. I think so does Chicago. So does Boston. So does London, obviously, right, with what they just did in Berlin. So the World Marathon majors see the value in the pros. I... I don't know what will happen. Could there be one year where things are a little tight and budgets are a little tight? That's certainly possible. But but like I said earlier, I think this I think there's more fans of the sport, particularly the marathon right now than there ever have have been or has been. Um and I I don't see that being a problem moving forward. In fact, more people are running than ever. I think we might come out of this better than ever. And, and if that's the case, if there's more money flowing through, then there's going to be more money flowing flowing up to the pros as well. Um, it may not happen year one, but I, but I think the sport has a very healthy outlook over the next decade. 
Yeah, we could. That's a good point. We might come out of this better overall as an industry, with more people exercising. My 76-year-old aunt emailed me the other day and said, what do you think of Hoka shoes? And I was like, yes. this lady, she does not exercise. My aunt is like the least athletic person I know. She wants to start exercising. <laughs> and somehow her friends told her Hoka and Robert are like, yes, buy Hoka. My brother, I don't know, he sent her a link or something. So <laughs> good, good. If, 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 you know, maybe she subtly saw some advertising on Let's Run. I don't know. I'll, I'll try to take credit for it too. But that would be good if down the road more people, yeah, they're into running more or whatever, and they follow the sport. And London for me this fall was actually very encouraging because it showed that marathoning can be just a professional race. And it was this was pr- probably on what national television in Britain for eight hours during the day. I don't even know what the total end all time being, and it's it's great television and sure we show the masses and we need the masses I mean, I think that's one thing we're seeing with NFL games it's not quite the same without the fans there and you need the mass runners but like it's still a very compelling TV product if presented the right way the marathon is a made for TV event I mean it's it builds and builds and builds over the course of two hours and then you have this giant climax at the end um, it, it's perfect for TV back to 2020 it this wouldn't be 2020 if we didn't discuss COVID. And I think a good place to end here is one of your athletes, Nick Hogger, tested positive for COVID. And he posted a blog post about it. And it's pretty interesting because reading it, like you guys had very strict protocols. Like if you if you travel away from the team and you come back, you have to get tested for COVID. And I'm curious, like what just kind of like how he found out, whether the rest of the team had to quarantine, how that impacted you guys and – you know, I guess you were probably prepared. It sounds like you were well, well more prepared than a lot of teams for this. Because I think, I don't know, you're not a, you're not an NFL team, you're not a baseball team. I would have been like, we don't have to get COVID tested, but you were, you were ahead of the game on this one. We tried to be prepared. I mean, look, you know, we've been trying to stay on top of what what we're supposed to do, but you know, we're, we're learning ourselves, right? So it's constantly changing. But we just knew that if anybody went home for personal travel. It wasn't necessarily the travel itself, but we knew that once you get wherever you're going, you're, you're no longer in our bubble. We've tried to stay really tight here. You know, we're just hanging around each other. It's not because we are antisocial. It's because we've got to keep this inner circle tight. That's how you keep this thing from spreading, uh, at least from whatever, from everything we, we know. <clears throat> so when you go home for personal travel, obviously you're breaking that bubble. And so when you come back, you got to get tested. Make sure you don't have it before you come back to practice. That was the protocol. Nick went home. He he really was very careful at home, but he ended up interacting with someone whose roommate uh, had been perhaps behaving <laughs> in a way that you should not during these times and, 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 and caught the virus. And the person Nick was hanging out didn't know they had the virus. You know, that's how – I mean, that's this is everybody's story, right? So um, luckily when he came back, we had that protocol in place. He tested positive. Uh, he hadn't been back to practice yet, so that was no problem. Nonetheless, we had everybody get tested uh, before we came back to practice as a group because there was one flaw in my system, which I'll take you know ownership of. He, I forgot that you know he lives with one of the other guys on the team, Scott Fable. So even though Nick didn't come to practice, he did interact with Scott. They were never very close to one another those those two days, um, but you know, we still had to be overly careful. So 
you know, Scott moved out of the house for a few days. Um, everybody on the team got tested. We didn't come back to practice until all those test results come back. And, and luckily everybody was okay. And, and we moved forward and Scott moved back in once the doctors told Nick it was okay. And then, and then Nick's been following the doctor's orders, you know, ever since. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so we're, we're, I don't think coaches should be, should be leading the charge and driving the ship when an athlete gets COVID. I think it should be the doctors driving the ship. And that's what we've done. Uh, even though it's, it's frustrating and, and, uh, uh, we get a little antsy, the coaches and athletes, but, uh, but Nick's done a great job and him sharing that story was just an effort to help people, you know, and to make people realize that this is a real thing. And if you're an athlete, you know, you're going to have to miss a lot of time potentially if you get this. And if you get a case where there's symptoms and, you know, I, it's, it's a, <laughs> I think he's doing a service. You know, he didn't have to do that. I didn't make him do that, but I think it was nice for him to do that because that's always been my thing all along was I would love more people to share because I don't know what I'm supposed to do and not do. I know what the CDC says, but when someone gets it so often you hear, well, I've been doing everything right. Well, what do you mean? Like what specifically have you been doing and where specifically do you think you got it? And then what happened to you? I want to know these stories so I can better, uh, plan my life. <laughs> I don't want to get this thing either. So, um, I was glad that Nick did that. And, and, uh, it seems like there's been pretty positive, uh, feedback, but it wasn't about that. It was just about, you know, letting people know his story so that maybe it can help others. Yeah. And no, I thought it was good. Cause it, like you said, it's, we've all probably at this point heard stories of somebody we know or a friend of a friend who got it, but I still think that, you know, Stuff, some of the stuff in the news is very – it's focused on the most extreme cases. And then there's sort of uh, – just it's the way news is, right? Like you, shaming people who get it, like, oh, they were irresponsible. And like going about our existence, we got to – we're social creatures. We got to live. Like I don't blame somebody for going home to see their family or whatever, but it shows like, hey, you know, you can pick up the virus. You know, you're hanging out with some friend you trust, but they could have hung out with somebody. And everyone everyone could be acting appropriately and still get it because – you hear about people who take it way more seriously than I do, and, and they've gotten it. So I, I enjoyed the piece, and I guess I should have let also like, yeah, everybody's doing very well. It yeah. sounds like, yeah, yeah, he's doing fine. He, yeah, yeah, he's back running, and his last uh, little stress test deal is tomorrow. He's actually very excited about it. He's bringing his racing flats. He's ready to put it to this treadmill test. Um, make sure his heart's okay, and, and then um, you know, on we go. But uh, you know, I've talked to college coaches too, and gotten the protocols from them that they're using at their at their particular college. Some of those differ, but um, I, I think people are trying trying to um, they're, they're trying their best. I guess is what I would say. Uh, given that, I guess your actual best would be to do absolutely nothing and just stay in your basement. But to your point. Not only are we social creatures, but, you know, money is a real thing and we have to figure out a way to survive. And so I think at least where I fall is I'm trying to continue to do my job, but in a safe, as safe a way as possible. Um, and, I, and I think that's where most people are, despite the extremes that you hear about, as you say. Yeah, I think one thing I heard is there aren't solutions. I mean, maybe a vaccine is a solution, but there's, with everything in life, there's more trade-offs and it's sort of... We want everyone wants to be smart, and maybe people are willing to make different trade offs. But you know, you need to work. People need to work. To try to figure out how we can do that as safely as possible. So, sounds like you guys have been doing that, and definitely with the marathon project. I mean, it's amazing you guys have created this. Everyone needs to go sign up for the virtual challenge, and also sounds like we're going to have 
some news coming out very shortly about the broadcast of the race, so everyone look forward to that. And you can go to, the link will be in the show notes, but you can go to themarathonproject.com, sign up for the virtual challenge. You can start as soon as November 25th, which is the day this podcast drops. But the beauty of this thing is you can sign up anytime between now and, what, December 20th? So That's right. everyone needs to do that. Sport your half zip, sport your hokas. Um, ben, thank you for joining us. And even like, actually, this is one more thing. Maybe we need to send somebody to this thing because this field keeps getting bit better and better. But I, like, I remember getting in the media thing, and like, media wants to go. You got to get COVID tested beforehand. Like, it's it's you guys are leaving no stone unturned. So it's a very safe event. Um, I'm glad to see it's being done that way. I guess for fans though, can. Fans aren't allowed. Like it's on the streets, though. I mean, I don't want to like push the no, rules. Fan, but how does that? Well, work? we're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have barricades at, at at either end of the course. So, and security. So there's really no spectators allowed. However, um, you know, it's not like when you're watching the broadcast, you won't see people on the side of the road. And don't think that those people are terrible people. They've been allowed. Um, we know that you know, some of the athletes are going to bring a husband or bring a wife or bring a close friend. And, um, you know, that's, we consider that support staff. Those are, those are essential, um, support staff folks and they're going to have a credential and, um, and there'll be some coaches and agents out there. So it won't be completely, it's not like these hundred athletes are running in the desert without a peep going on around them. I mean, they'll, they'll have some support out on the course, but we can't just have folks coming from the community to, to, to view this thing. Cause it could get a little bit out of control and, um, and and we're all about control. We we want this thing to be very very safe. Yep. Now I saw some picture from that high school cross country race this weekend. I was like, whoa! <laughs> Looks like we 2000. don't want that picture. No offense. No offense. We do not want a picture that looks anything like that. <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was like a stock photo we were using. I'm like, no, this is the girl who won the race. Look at all those people behind her. We can look forward to that next year, people. Next year. That's right. That's right. Until then, you can run the virtual marathon project challenge sign up today everyone thank you ben thanks welcome